This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Food reflects life and it's messy and it's not always right and it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be real. You probably recognize that voice. Chef Michael Smith is one of Canada's most beloved celebrity chefs. He's just come out with a new book, Fast Flavors, 110 Simple Speedy Recipes. Today he'll join me to talk about the inspiration behind this book and he'll give us some great tips for family mealtime, including how to get your kids and grandkids to eat their fruits and veggies. And it's being called a roadmap to a cure for breast cancer. The latest research breakthrough is fundamentally changing the way scientists look at this disease, and I'll be joined by Dr. Tack Mack, the director of the Campbell Family Institute for Breast Cancer Research at the Princess Margaret Hospital, to find out what this discovery means. I will love you longer than forever. And this week we lost one of the last great crooners. Andy Williams passed away Tuesday at the age of 84. We'll honor him with a look back at his life and hear the song made famous by a certain Audrey Hepburn movie. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. We've been hearing a lot about the war between generations, Zoomers and millennials fighting for jobs and resources. Well, a new study out of the U.S. finds that the older generation might have a leg up when it comes to the workforce. The human resources consulting firm ADECO questioned 500 hiring managers on what they thought of workers in different age groups. The result? Employers would rather hire workers over the age of 50 than under 30. The managers said mature workers are more reliable, professional, and have better writing skills. As for the millennials, they were said to have less work ethic and poor time management skills. Managers did, however, concede that younger workers have an edge when it comes to being tech-savvy. It's something many older Zoomers don't like thinking about, losing their ability to drive. However, since 2006, it has been the law in Ontario that doctors are required to inform their patients if they believe they're unfit to drive because of age or health-related issues. Now, results show that the law has had an extremely positive effect. Hospital visits with serious injuries as a result of automobile accidents have fallen 45%. The government currently pays physicians $36.25 each time they issue a warning to the patient, which includes notifying the Ministry of Transportation that a patient has a condition that could impair his or her driving ability. The research is proof that doctors following this law help seriously reduce traffic accidents. You can see the full results in the New England Journal of Medicine. And finally this week, Canadians were mourning the loss of Sam Snyderman, better known as Sam the Record Man. His shop was a mainstay on Yonge Street for almost half a century. 
He began selling records out of his family's College Street radio shop when he was 17 years old. In 1961, Sam moved the store and set up shop in the now iconic Young Street location, complete with the famous signs that rivaled those of Honest Ed's. It was there for almost 50 years he became known as the man behind great music, helping his customers discover new music and helping to finance countless recordings by obscure bands which he then stocked in his store. Sam the Record Man became a chain franchise with locations across Canada. The company thrived until the late 90s when digital media and internet downloads changed the industry. After filing for bankruptcy in 2001, Sam's sons attempted to save the store, but in 2007 they sold the building to Ryerson University. Sam Snyderman passed away last Sunday. He was 92. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Just in time for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, there is new research that promises to fundamentally change the scientific understanding of the disease. Researchers have identified four genetically distinct types of breast cancer. The discovery is expected to lead to new treatments with existing drugs as well as new targeted therapies. Renowned researcher Dr. Tack Mack of Princess Margaret Hospital's Campbell Family Institute is working on a new drug for the most difficult form of breast cancer. I reached him in Cape Cod. So is this the culmination of work that's already been done? It is supposed to be, I guess, the nail in the coffin in that this is overwhelming data this time. They basically studied over 500 patients and completely determined the genetic aberrations at many different levels and grouped them into four subtypes. Mm-hmm. And what are the four subtypes? The first and uh, the best news is the luminal A, uh, which uh, basically is about 50% of all women uh, when they do get the breast cancer. And luminal A is, uh, is the good news because... Uh, We've been treating patients for the last 30 years as if they're all luminal A. And great progress has been made, and over 90% of these women will live at least five years, and many are cured. The second one is called luminal B. This is not as good news as luminal A. It's also estrogen positive, uh, but because of certain other genetic changes, it makes this population a little bit more aggressive. And this population is approximately 15% or so of the women. Mm-hmm. And they're also estrogen positive, so that means uh, tamoxifen and aromatase inhibitors do help uh, prolong their lives. The third is the HER2 positive. This used to be very aggressive and bad, and it still is, uh, but we have, uh, through the great work of Dr. Dennis Lehman, one of our collaborators, uh, the discovery of Herceptin. Herceptin makes a great deal of difference for about half of these patients, and uh, in some cases, they have some very significant long-term survivors. And the fourth type is um, perhaps uh, the most difficult challenge. It is called the basal or the triple negative. 
Now, this group are uh, uh, disproportionately represented in younger women and uh, women of uh, African uh, descent. We basically have one drug for it, cisplatin. Mm-hmm. You have one shot, and if it works, it works, and if it doesn't work, it comes back, and uh, it becomes a big challenge to find a second drug that will respond. Now, my understanding is that the finding was that this type of breast cancer actually has more in common with ovarian cancer than with other breast cancers. Absolutely true. And what does that mean in terms of possible treatment? Well, at this particular time, both of these types of cancers basically are treated mainly with cisplatin, uh, which is a poison that uh, hopefully will poison most of the ovarian or breast cancer cells, but that has not been, um, you know, uniformly successful in most situations. So um, then they come back and then uh, we have a problem. What is the survival rate for these basal cancers? Ours, about 30%. Oh dear, yeah. Yes. When they do come back, uh, they actually, the, the period of time is not as long as the luminals, which when they come back, you can fight. When they come back, you can fight. When they come back, you can fight. You can, you know, sometimes, you know, make it, you know, quote, unquote, into a chronic disease uh, for years. After coming up with all of this information, what happens now? At the Princess Margaret Hospital, Uh, Our clinicians and our researchers have been plotting a path forward. We actually been trying to develop one and maybe even two different targeted drugs that are tailored uh, for the triple negative basal breast cancer and uh, hope that uh, even the ovarian cancers may benefit. We are um, very close to testing this drug in in patients, but there's still a few more hurdles. Now, when you say that you're close to human trials, have you been through trials in the lab or animal trials? How far have you gone with it? We are um, very far along, and we are in the last stage of our toxicity test. Okay, that is very interesting, especially about that new drug you're working on. Well, and we are all keeping our fingers crossed. We, we just can't sleep every night. Thank you very much for your time, Dr. Mack. No problem. We'll be sure to keep you up to date on the development of these new treatments. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. He's one of Canada's most beloved celebrity chefs. In just a moment, Michael Smith will join us to talk about his new book, Fast Flavors, 110 Simple Speedy Recipes. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. He's one of Canada's most successful celebrity chefs, and he's made it his mission to help home cooks put healthy and delicious meals on their family tables. Michael Smith is out with a new book, Fast Flavors, 110 Simple Speedy Recipes, and he dropped by our studios to talk about it. Chef Michael Smith, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to see you. Both in your TV series and in your book, you're trying to get people to cook at home. It used to be that everybody knew how to do it, and now there are a lot of people that just 
haven't got a clue. How did that happen to us? It is one of the great questions of our time. And I, and I think it really comes down to our our busyness and, and perhaps losing track of what our priorities should be. And, and all of that sort of meaning that we've lost a full generation of cooks and we're about to lose another generation of cooks. And we've got kids growing up in homes without a tradition of cooking now. And and I believe that, um, you know, not to be too blunt about it, but if you're one of these people that have convinced yourself that you can't cook, I need to say it. Suck it up, buttercup. Fact is, you can cook. It's just that you're choosing not to cook. And just to put it in perspective, we're hundreds of thousands of generations behind us that could cook. So who do you think you are that you're somehow that special that you can't cook? Now, I don't mean to be rude and I don't mean to be strident about it, but I do believe that we need to put all this in perspective. And this isn't something that's optional anymore. We need to cook more. We need to spend more time with our family. We need to have a healthier food lifestyle. These are things that we need to fix. You know, and I think it's my job to help remind everybody that food is not difficult and to put it in perspective that this whole idea that we're somehow striving for perfection, and you see this in the media, you see this on Food Network, we have these folks that are telling us that there's a perfect way of doing things or this is the perfect tool or the perfect ingredient. Recipes are written to suggest that. And I, I take great issue with that. I don't believe in that. I think that it does more harm than good. And it sort of sets up this idea for so many of us that failure is just lurking around the corner. And it's not. You know, I think you're successful if you make that choice to cook for your family and you sit down at the table together. Food reflects life and it's messy and it's not always right and it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be real. Okay, let's talk a little bit about your new book. It's called Fast Flavors. And it's a really interesting concept because, of course, one of the big excuses people have is I just don't have the time to cook. So you give us a bunch of recipes with different ways of cooking it. If you have 15 minutes, if you have half an hour, or if you have the the whole evening. Yeah, what you're referring to is what we call the four-speed recipes. There are times when you need to just get dinner on the table in a hurry, and all you have to do is pile a bunch of stuff in a pot, heat it through, and, and it's edible. It may not be all that flavorful, but it's edible. You know, then you have the option of putting a little more time and effort and maybe even a little passion into it and taking your time and browning the onions and that sort of thing. And then you also have the option of using a slow cooker. With just a little bit of effort at the beginning of your day, you can reward yourself at the end of your day with a very flavorful meal. And, of course, the pressure cooker. And we have this odd fear in North America of pressure cookers. It's not that odd. I remember as a child and the big news stories of people who lost their eyes from exploding pressure cookers. But those days are so far behind us. You know, all over Europe, pressure cookers are mainstream. They're not only very energy efficient, they're so speedy, and they're also extremely nutritious. The food just doesn't have a time to lose lose its nutrition. So the four-speed recipes in the book sort of reflect those four possible paths to the same flavor profile. What are some of the other main tips that you give? Well, uh, you know, for me, the biggest tip of all is is just get engaged with your food. Stop taking it for granted if, if that's what's going on in your life. You know, I, I have a very young family, and I've got a 10-year-old son. I've got a 4-year-old daughter, and we have a new daughter who's three and a half months old. Congratulations. And thank you. And and it certainly informs my approach to food. And, you know, and I can't help but think back to when Gabe was born and the, the awakening that I had that helped me realize that this sort of focus on fine dining that had so preoccupied me throughout my career was really just a narrow, narrow, narrow facet of the greater world of food. 
And as I began to cook for my family, it energized me and it, in a way that, that cooking for anonymous strangers never did. And then as I began to realize that there are so many Canadian families out there that don't have that, I realized that I could actually be a part of the solution. And, and that's really where the shows and the books and everything that I do come from. There are going to be a lot of people listening to this who are maybe going to be cooking for their grandchildren who don't get a lot of home cooking. So what's your advice for them? There are some very simple tips. And for instance, you know, when the, when the kids get off the school bus or you pick them up at daycare or whatever, that's your best opportunity all day to get healthy fruits and vegetables into them. They'll eat whatever you put in front of them at that point. And then when you're cooking dinner, whether it's for your kids or your grandkids, you know, the first thing you put on the table is the vegetables. And and it just plain works, really. It can be that simple. And and then we have to think about ways to market healthy food, you know, at the dining room table. And, you know, for instance, I, I don't serve asparagus. I serve dinosaur spears. You know, I don't serve fish to the kids. Every bloody fish that comes in the door is a shark. You know, we're, <laughs> we're eating shark tonight, kids. And, you know, and it's things like that, that that can add up to a healthy food lifestyle for kids and getting them engaged with food. If there is one takeaway from this, what, what would you like it to be? Food is messy and simple, and it can change, and it can be different, and it reflects life, and it doesn't have to be stressful, and you're not striving for perfection, and all that stress and strain, leave it behind. Leave it to the chefs. We're just trying to get food on the table for dinner for our family, and that's pretty straightforward. Okay. Michael Smith, thank you very much. Thank you. Michael Smith's new book, Fast Flavors, is in bookstores now. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. This week, the world lost another Zoomer icon. In just a moment, we'll return to remember the life and music of Andy Williams. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time now for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Andy Warhol's impact on contemporary artists is the focus of a new exhibition at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. The show compares 45 Warhols with 100 pieces by 60 artists. It runs until the end of the year. In Paris, see an exhibition dedicated to hair. The Art of Hair, Frivolities, and Trophies celebrates the universal importance of hair in art, fashion, style, ritual, sexuality, religion, and culture. The show continues until next summer at the Musée Duquet Branly. And in Amsterdam, check out a newly renovated major museum. The Stedelijk has just reopened after eight years of construction. A new wing includes more space to show off a world-class collection of modern and contemporary art. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. Thanks, Jane. This is the moment. This week, Andy Williams passed away at the age of 84. He was one of the last great crooners of the 20th century. He rose to fame in the mid-50s with hits like Canadian Sunset, Butterfly, The Hawaiian Wedding Song, and Lonely Street. But the highest point of his career came in 1962 when he performed Henry Mancini's Moon River at the Academy Awards. Famously featured in Breakfast at Tiffany's, the song went on to win an Oscar and became Williams' signature song. 
The same year marked the debut of The Andy Williams Show, a variety program that aired until 1971 and introduced performers like Donny Osmond. Williams also made his mark with yearly Christmas specials and the albums that went along with them sold countless copies. In 1992, he retired from life on the road and settled in Branson, Missouri. There, he built the Andy Williams Moon River Theater, where he spent many years performing multiple shows a day, six days a week. Last November, he was diagnosed with bladder cancer. He kept performing at his home theater and remained optimistic with yet another run of Christmas shows scheduled to start in November. However, on Tuesday, he died of the disease he had been fighting for just under a year. We'll honor him with his signature song. Here's Moon River. Moon River, wider than a mile. I'm crossing you in style someday. Oh, dream maker, you heartbreaker, wherever you're going. I'm going your way to drifters off to see the world. There's such a lot of world to see. We're after the same rainbows and waiting. My huckleberry friend Moon River And me That was Andy Williams with Moon River, his signature song. Williams passed away this week after living with bladder cancer for almost a year. He was 84 years old. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll be back next week when we keep you up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.